it's only in romantic love that we have that messaging of you need to be somebody's everything or if you are not the only partner therefore you're not enough like this equating of your personal value to your relationship status to a degree or the health of your relationship people will have multiple children and have capacity to love them deeply in different ways and like every other form of love we already have experience of having very different equally strong or different connections with people. And that is very possible in a romantic and a sexual context as well. It is very scary and it is not something everyone desires, but if it's something you desire and it's scary, it is possible to achieve. I'm Alexa and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. All right, y'all, you know that we have a wide variety of subjects on that sex chick. So our highest, most listened episode ever is about sex and relationships and marriage and pregnancy. Um, So that's, that's number one, but it's with the particular person and a particular couple that most of you are, it's just, it's interesting. That one's number one for some interesting reasons. Number two most listened to and downloaded episode is our most taboo show yet. And that was with Hannah Deindorfer. And it was about her gangbang fantasy and what she did in order to get that fantasy into reality. And so really interesting, wide range, even just between number one and number two. Smattered all throughout the last three years since the show has been has been releasing, the subject matter is quite literally all over the place, you know, sex, love, relationships. Those are really big buckets. And so we talk about lots of different ways to be sexually expressed and, and to experience better sex, more connected sex, spiritual sex, kinky sex, all of the above. We talk about different types of relationships, different structures to relationships, being single more and dating more intentionally, how to break up better. And so then how to consciously and intentionally choose monogamy. And so, you know, while we've touched on the alternative when it comes to relationships, it's been a while since we've really gone deep into what is polyamory? What are open relationships? What is a metamor? Which some of you might not know what that is, because I don't know if I've ever posed that question like that before. What is that? What is a triad? So there's, and what are the differences between the two? And what's swinging compared to open relating compared to monogamish? There's lots of flavors when it comes to finding the relationship structure and dynamic that works for you in this current cycle and season of your life. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but blink and all of a sudden you have different preferences and life looks different. And so, you know, what today in your sex and your love life and in your relationship might be different to five years from now, to six months from now, to a couple of weeks from now. And so to go deeper into the conversation about the colorful range of what relationships can look like, specifically polyamory, we have Morgan on the show today. Hello. (laughs) And Morgan, you have an Instagram and a brand called Chill Polyamory, which to me, I don't know if this is what you mean for it to mean, but it feels like chill, <laughs> like kind of relaxed, laid back. Am I, am I getting it right? 
That's my goal is that, you know, I don't really have a stressful experience of polyamory anymore. And a lot of polyamorous media is very sensationalized. So I want to communicate. It doesn't have to be a big deal or stressful at all. And you say that it isn't for you anymore. So I'm curious about the what did it used to look like? So I would love if you give us a little bit of the the backstory as to how you wound up having a brand in a business where you're educating people on the different types of relationships, ways to love, et cetera. Sure. I mean, I think I always felt like I care about people in a multiplicitous way. I never had a word for it. And so when I found the term, it was scary, but it felt right and all of that. And so this was around 2011, 2012 was when I first was exposed to it. And then I just, I found people who were living the way that I thought would be a dream way to live. Ask them how they're doing it. You know, that's the basics of like, oh, I want to do something. Let me find someone who has what I want and ask, you know, how are you doing it? So I was pretty private about my non-monogamous path for the first like six years or so. In 2018, there was a panel, an in-person panel that I was asked to to co-host on the topic. And I just saw the power of visibility. Like there were a few hundred people in that room and there were so many questions. Questions and there was such a hunger for examples. And I was like, I feel like I kind of have to talk about it now. <laughs> you know, like I feel like I would love to be of service. And I also feel like I don't see a lot of examples, at least at the time in 2018, I didn't see a lot of examples of, you know, relaxed ways of life around polyamory. And so then I started posting on Instagram, later on TikTok with Chill Polyamory. And it grew from there. People started to want to talk to me and, you know, I started a Patreon, like, you know, so it just sort of built organically based off of the conversations from that point. So if your flavor of polyamory isn't so chill or is chill now, what's the alternative? Yeah, well, I think sometimes the word chill, at least in like our current, (laughs) our current context can sometimes have a negative connotation of like trying to force yourself to be the cool girl, you know, and that's definitely not what I intend with it. Actually not having anxiety was my goal. And I'm a person with an anxiety disorder and like so much trauma and all of that. And so it felt like, you know, I don't know if this is possible. I know I want to love this way and I do love this way, but I'm terrified. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a combination of a lot lot of work with community and with therapy, somatic coaches, like um, EMDR coaches, things like that, that just working through things that were there anyway, you know, my traumatic history was there anyway, my jealousies, my insecurities, my fears were all there anyway. It's just when we take the leap of faith of trusting that our partner will leave and come back, that can be incredibly activating you know, that can make us confronted every day. And so mm-hmm. it, it is work and it's work that I was willing to do. And the good news is you can move through it and get to the other side to a feeling of security and stability, regardless of if you stay non-monogamous, you know, it's nice to have the stability anyway. Absolutely. I can imagine that there's a number of people, whether they're listening to the show, because they're genuinely curious about what, uh, you know, alternative living and loving and alternative relationships whether they're generally curious about that, what that could look like for themselves, or they're just listening to the show because it's another topic on the show and like, ooh, what are they going to talk about? Um, 
the there's there's people I'm sure that are hearing that and are like, well, I'm in chosen monogamous relationship and I want to know how to do all those things. How do I figure out how to do all those things? You know, and and it just relationships can teach a person so much. I mean, you know, going through think back in my history, and I don't know if you had this, you know, kind of phaser time in life where it's like I was dating or I was in relationships and then kind of pulled back and was like, I need to do some me work, you know, mm. but it, but I can take that time and take that space and realize that, oh, I was in relationship after relationship and I was identifying that with that relationship and I was deriving my validation and my self-worth and my self-esteem and all those things based off of how that relationship was happening and unfolding. And then also to the degree that I can control it as well. And mm. so then there's the moments where I'm like, oh, I need to like pump the brakes here and literally learn what I like and what I want and what kind of life I want to live and what kind of way I want to love and all those things. But then that can only go so far before you're ready for the next lesson that you can't necessarily get unless you're in then again, a relationship and your, your traumas or triggers or things that, that you're still working through. They come up, they come to the surface to work on and work through. So I, I feel like there's there's benefits to both of those things, like going within and taking space. And then also like what is here for me in the realms of relationships. And I have to say, when I was originally introduced to poly and people being in love and having relationships with more than one person, I was like, excuse me, what? Mm -hmm. Who does this? Like polygamous cults. Like that's all because I I grew up Catholic. I grew up in South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And so I only understood like you wait to be sexual until marriage, but the vast majority of us were not waiting. And so we were all damned to hell. And, and it only looks in this kind of way, but it looked this kind of way many, 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 many years ago. Now we just do serial monogamy where it's like out with, you know, like we only have one at a time mostly ish. And, and that was all that I understood. And I was like, Oh, this is people are choosing this when in reality, it seems like, you know, when I individuated and traveled and all that, and I was like, oh, I think they're just doing that. Cause they think that that's what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know? And then the curiosity of like, what else is there? And so my introduction personally into this kind of way of, um, being, First off, I started dating someone that was like, have you heard of ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy? I was like, what? No. But then he gave me sex at dawn. And so then that was the moment where I read, you know, I listened to the 20 something hour audio and I was like the whole time fascinated, like, oh my actual goodness, what is this? What is happening? And that just like cracked me personally wide open, follow that with the ethical slut. And then just like, bam, 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 bam. Like, whoa. What, what do I actually want to choose? Cause not my realize like my whole life has been a series of decisions based off of religious upbringing and societal upbringing. The fact that I'm from the South, all of my demographic and psychographic, you know, elements to how I am, who I am. And I'm like, oh, that's, this is what I'm deciding. But what do I really ultimately want in love and in relationship? And uh, that's that was a big question. Eventually, I settled on mostly monogamous, intentionally chosen mostly monogamous because we still play with others. But we have the consistent conversation of what could it look like if we change our mind? Because here we are, five plus years into our relationship, married, wanting to start a family, and we feel very protective of our bubble. But at the same time, we really like other people. I really love playing with women. And Jordan, of course, he he loves the idea of a lot of it. But he's, I think, still up against the edge of what work do I need to do in order to actually be able to handle mm-hmm. being able to bring this beyond just a novel sexual experience and into 
respect and love and care and consideration and compassion and, and like more beyond just, you know, a surface level kind of sexual experience. So um, I would love to hear your perspective on, or how you would define rather the various ways people could opt in to an alternative relationship. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful what you're saying around just questioning, is this my choice or am I on autopilot? You know, there's no, in my opinion, as long as nobody's being harmed or abused, there's no wrong way to construct a relationship. There's no wrong way. It's just a a series of negotiations, but we can either build something or have something built for us. And that's really where I found myself. Yeah, those questions led me towards the life I have now. But a lot of people question and then land back on monogamy, you know, or something monogamish, which is also valid. I think it's really empowering to know this is what we want. This is what we're exciting to run towards. We're not just running away from something or scared and shutting ourselves off from other things. So yeah, in terms of, I mean, there's a lot of different language that is used to describe, you know, different kinds of relating. I could say broadly, non-monogamy is, of course, anything that is not monogamy. That's an umbrella term that can include, you know, swinging is something that is generally seen like you go to sex parties or you switch partners. It's sexual only. It tends to be a somewhat different community than polyamory. There tends to be some lack of interest or barriers around, you know, going on dates or building relationships beyond the sexual component. There are open relationships, which are sort of a little bit of a departure from swinging. You're not just swapping partners. You are, you know, exploring other sexual connections with or without anchor monogamish partner. Uh, We say monogamish as like sort of a playful term of like, the intention is essentially monogamous and also sexually, there can be some fluidity there but that can help manage the expectations of anyone you play with to know like I'm not intending or I'm not available for, you know, XYZ kind of connection. I think that's the most important thing is that anyone that we invite into our life understands ceilings that exist of what they can build with you. Polyamory, you know, you mentioned polygamy and it's winds up being a stereotype or something that we confront somewhat frequently. And I understand why, especially I came from a very conservative background too, you know, a lot of religious shame. Like we, we view these terms through the lens with which we were given. Right. So I was defensive about that as well. When I first entered non-monogamy until I started learning a bit more about, you know, polygamy being structurally about marrying multiple people. A lot of times there is a religious component. A lot of times there's a cultural, it's even like compulsory polygamy in some cultures. And I don't really look down on that. I think it's a difference of culture and people are free to choose to participate in it. But polyamory being, we are free to explore and build one-to-one connections romantically. We can build and escalate romantic relationships in a variety of ways, have a child with this person, maybe live with that person, you know, share, have multiple homes where we're based, you know, there's infinite ways that that can be constructed, but it's a bit more of a, you know, progressive autonomous, it's decidedly anti-compulsory anything, you know, anti the norms and very much about negotiating proactively what it is you'd like to do. So that could be a very small network, a very large network, you know, that depends on the person, but I'm, I'm in the relate. I guess I could also mention relationship anarchy, which is within polyamory there. You might come across the terms hierarchy, non-hierarchy and relationship anarchy. 
Um, hierarchy being that you have a tiered power system of like a primary partner and then secondary partners in terms of like who is able to decide what and who has a say in what. Non-hierarchy being a push against that for something that's a bit more egalitarian. And then relationship anarchy is a bit more of like, we don't want any hierarchies, but it's relationship anarchy can include monogamy. I won't get too into the weeds with it, but Mm. uh, it's a bit more of let's deconstruct any shoulds and really ask like, what is it that we want to build? And uh, let's reject what any outside pressures, including other people and other relationships might put on us. I don't know if that's a bit, (laughs) I kind of just monologue that you (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what I want for people to know, you know, what's, what's available and what's out there. And this is, you know, in some ways just scratching the surface, like you gave the very basic definition or broad definition for some of those things, because I think some people hear polyamory and they think of it as potentially you know, if they don't think the polygamy kind of thing and in, in that that regard, then they might think, oh, polyamory, poly many amory loves, like many loves, right? So you love many people and you make it work, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they might not know that there are all these different variations that they could potentially opt into. They might think of it as, well, if I don't have my primary partner, then we're all just like, it's just all over the place. Like it seems out of control and kind of chaotic and, and, and some people actually hear it and it's really interesting and, and always get a little bit of a giggle, but not at these people's expenses, but like they're in a tough relationship and, and it, you know, sexually they're not really, their needs are not being met necessarily. They have like a pretty good foundation to their relationship where they're very friendly and all that. And then, you know, one of the people hears the idea of, polyamory and then they go then they immediately like kind of identify with it and then go oh that's what i'm missing i'm actually polyamorous and it's like whoa 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 hang on what's going on here you've got a foundational relationship that is what you're de- describing is is lacking in some ways and so how do you address that before you start playing and putting like opening up and and being open to these other kinds of connections and and this like shift in and how they identify and i think what I want to get at is that there's there's lots of different things that people can choose from. It's not just this like one kind of way. And second, it's not the if your monogamous life isn't working out the way that you want it to. It doesn't mean that you just like hard pivot and then just have a bunch of partners. Right. There's mm-hmm. there's more to it. And it might actually be a better fit for you. That could be true, but there's more to it. And I would love if you could share a little bit about your experience in that way. Yeah, polyamory is not a solution to a struggling monogamous relationship at all. If anything, it will just inflame any existing conflicts by adding more people who have their own needs and their own feelings to the pile, right? Like that's like having a baby to save a marriage. Like, you know, you don't want to include more complexity if you're already struggling with what you have. But it could be two separate conversations. You know, it is um, like we were saying in the beginning, if you have insecurities, if you have jealousies or traumas that are there, they will be there and confronting you in an emotionally risky opening up, right? If you have conflict, lack of trust, if you don't feel safe with your partner in some way, if you don't trust that they will actually do the work and be communicative, right? Like that will get more exacerbated and that will be more intense if you are trying something more complex. So I, while it is valid to discover, oh, that term, I relate to that term, the pursuit of it needs to be done mindfully. You know, we can't just abandon 
what we were doing or act like we're starting from square one, you know, if we're in, if we're in couples therapy now, like, why are we, how are we doing as a duo, you know, the most successful relationships I've seen that have transitioned from monogamy into some form of non-monogamy were solid, felt like so safe, secure, so solid, trust each other. I know they're not going anywhere. You know, that's really a helpful foundation to start with. You can open up without that, but will color your experience of it for sure. Absolutely. And yeah, and I, I try to at times kind of slow people down in that regard. You know, I'll occasionally get someone that'll fill out, you know, the the info like application or something to potentially work with us. And I'll see, oh, my partner is really interested in this thing. And so I'm wanting, I'm seeking coaching so that I can become more open to it. And I see that I see um, like a wide variety of people that like how they're approaching their curiosity. It it feels like there's some hurts and there's some obligation at times. But then I wind up having people very occasionally showing up and they're like, we want to do this and we don't want to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Like, what do we do here? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've worked with a wide range of people. And so what are some of the common things that people come to you Like, where would you just where, and you just mostly kind of described it, but like, where would you suggest people maybe go into therapy or go like choose a different modality for their healing before opening up or trying some version of poly and or open relating? And then when would you be like, yes, you're a great candidate. And what would it look like to then start having those conversations of like, how could your life be more enriched in this opening process? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, in terms of like where you even start, I think it just comes from like, is everybody on board feeling like teammates in this? You know, if anybody feels coerced, pressured, like it is an obligation, I'm only doing this because my partner wants this. I've not really seen that be sustainable because it can plant the seeds for resentment, for depression, for, you know, just not loving what you've got. And it goes back to like, are we freely choosing this? Are we building the kind of relationship we want to have, you know? And so sometimes it can be a painful realization. Like I do not want this and they do. Sometimes that results in a restructuring. And if that's going to be what happens, it's going to happen anyway. And so, yeah, just like really seeing, is this something that I do want to feel comfortable with? Like I'm excited by the idea, but I'm scared. That's different than I don't want this, but I don't want to lose them, you know? And so just really assessing what are my motivations for exploring this. And it is possible monopolyam is one structure where a monogamous person is with a polyamorous person. That can be sustainable with the condition being that the monogamous person at any time can also find other partners. They just don't have the desire for it as well. Their emotional security doesn't depend on their partner being monogamous to them. So if, if those two things are in place, then it can feel really lovely. I've seen a lot of monogamous people have relief of like, oh, they want this thing that I don't want, or they're, you know, I'm working all the time and they need more emotional support or like, you know, they're really kinky and I'm not like, there can be a relief that comes from inviting other kinds of connections so that you don't have to be your partner's everything. But yeah, just asking, being really honest with ourselves and with our partners of like, what do I really actually want for me? Uh, In terms of like, when somebody is a good candidate, you know, I think anyone who wants to do this work is capable of doing this work. This is not something that you're just, you reach a finish line and now you're ready. 
You know, it's not something that can be totally understood by reading books or by listening to podcasts. Like a lot of it is discovered in practice because a lot of our wounds were formed in connection with other people. So they only really get brought up in connection with other people. Like, so we can have our best guess of like, we feel really solid. And then our partner goes on a date and suddenly we feel four years old again. And, you know, it happens and it's the hardest in the beginning because you don't yet have a track record of being safe in this new configuration. So that is the good news is that if everybody does feel like team players and you do have a network of support and you are learning and informing yourselves and everybody is really acting in good faith, it does get easier the more you are not abandoned, then you'll stop fearing being abandoned. But in the beginning, we really take a leap of faith. Like, I'm going to trust you to not drop me in this. And um, if your partner does misstep, if they break your trust, like it becomes that much harder to rebuild into like a sense of security and non-monogamy. So who you're doing this with definitely plays a big factor in it. Sex and Love Co. is officially back in bed with Yoni Pleasure Palace. We really are a match made in heaven. YPP continuously amazes me. Once a company known for their Yoni eggs and crystal pleasure wands, they have grown into a truly remarkable brand with many services and additional products like glass, steel, and wood pleasure tools for those of you who like a more natural element in your toy collection, as well as waterproof sex blankets. You know, that's one of my faves. Yoni steam herbs and stools strap-on harnesses, specialty vibrators, anal toys and prostate massagers, water and oil-based lubricants, breast massage oil, menstrual products, and so much more. If you can believe, I have quite a collection of things that fall under the category of adult products. By far, the most impressive part of my collection are the items I have by Yoni Pleasure Palace. Every purchase I make or gift that I give from YPP has an element of sacredness to it. And that truly takes them above and beyond any other brand I've tried or that I've worked with. I've got great news, my love. With our recent recommitment and partnership, Yoni Pleasure Palace has increased my code, that sex chick, from taking 10% off of your order to 15% off your entire YPP purchase. Hell yes. So head to the link in the show notes to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your collection. And don't forget to use the promo code ThatSexChick at checkout for 15% off your entire order. And all of those things are present in, you know, let's call it traditional monogamous relationships as well. When trust is broken or there's a fear, you know, that they're going to go and, and step out of the relationship and and do something on the in the realms of cheating, you know, where it's like it's completely against what you've agreed to or what you haven't even had a good discussion about and, and or lying and, and all of that. And that's all just generally really difficult, really hard to, to, to navigate. And I get this conversation. I mean, I get this question um, and framed in lots of different ways, but it's basically, how do you, how do you deal with jealousy? So what it would be your best tips and advice? Cause you said that it's harder, you know, earlier on. And so I hear that, like, give it time. But when it's those moments where it's like, I am literally losing my mind. I am like, jealousy is now turning to rage. I'm now spiraling. I have 17 different plausible stories that are going through my mind of what's probably happening right now. And I have zero evidence that any of them are actually happening and I can't stop myself. And this is relevant to all the types of relationships. What would be your best advice? 
Yeah. I mean, it really, there's a term that Jessica Fern, who wrote Polysecure, I think she might've coined the term, it's called primal panic of this sort of visceral nervous system response that no matter how intellectually comfortable we are with something, even if we think we'll feel fine, our nervous system can react like we are about to die, you know, and that is very real and that is valid. And it does not mean you're incapable of doing this work. It is one reason I say you got to want this for yourself because it's hard to work through this. And so if you're doing it for someone else, you won't want to keep doing, you know, like it won't feel worth it. Um, what we can do is have pillars of stability in place. Like the bigger the change, the more I want to name, what are my anchor points? You know, my therapist, my friends who are not judgmental, like, do I have weekly chats with my partner to check in? Do I have daily chats with my partner? You know, like, do we have regular date nights that as they go out and put an energy into meeting someone new, they also put energy into me. So I don't feel like I'm being left behind. Like a lot of times people will worry. I'm not the fun one. I'm not the vacation partner. Like I'm the sad, boring one at home with the kid, you know? And so what can you do to prove your fear wrong demonstrably? You know, there can be an active role in, in creating that track record and creating that security where you're building evidence, like a case against your fear. You know, we don't have to like time helps if we use that time to create security with each other. Yeah. Security is built. It is not found. So in terms of what we do with it, there's getting our like, okay, so let's say you, your partner is going on a date for the first time on Friday night and you have no idea how you're going to respond to that. Right. And nervous and fine with it, consenting and scared, all of that. Also like a little turned on Uh and like, it's just all a clusterfuck. (laughs) Uh So yeah. So that's the first assessment. And then, okay. So what are you doing the day before? What are you doing the day after? Can you connect and reground with your partner before and after to remind your body, you know, not just reassure you with words, but reassure you with actions. Like you're being held you're being loved on. Maybe you have sex to connect before or after some kind of way to remind your like in and amongst this leap of faith, you are still getting love, you know, physically. Uh, who are the people that you can have on call to text? Like Friday night might be hard for me. So are you around? Can I text you? Can I call you? Can you distract me? Distractions and being busy can really help because there is a degree of like, I just have to let the time pass because I can't do anything else at this moment. So a willingness to tolerate that discomfort and find a way to stay busy. A lot of people take themselves out on dates. Like I'm going to do something my partner would hate to do. And I'm going to treat myself to that and, you know, have my own special, exciting adventure of my own. And that can help to not feel like you're sitting home alone while they go have fun. So there are a lot of different like trial and error ways of caring and nurturing for that scared self. And then you compare notes afterwards, like, how did that go compared to, you know, the next time that they go on a date? Is it better? Is it worse than last time? You know, what helps? What didn't? We seek progress, you know, not perfection. So the first time is the hardest, but it is also an information discovery, you know? Oh, apparently when you didn't text me when you'd be late coming home, apparently that's what sent me off. I was fine until I didn't get a text back. You know what I mean? Like we, we don't chastise ourselves for having these reactions. We don't, we just have to take a look at what is it that is hitting which button 
that's good to know. That's good information. So let me then create a boundary around like, I'm going to really need a lot of texting communication. I'm going to need you to treat that like that is utmost importance because apparently at least for now, I freak out if I don't get it by this time that you said you would send it. And so that the minutia of that is really how we try to build stability in the beginning, if that makes sense. And so, yeah. Yeah, of course it does. And I think just, you know, you're humans doing human things and this is not for everyone. And it's, it might be what's best for you and it doesn't make it easier necessarily. You know what I mean? And so might be the texty thing this time and the next time might be different. You might get all the texty things and it just registers differently. And so I think that there's, you know, having definitely a heavy dose of grace in it. Like this is a challenging thing and it might seem more challenging for one partner than the other. And that doesn't mean that the other partner is just an irrational mess. You know, emotions are not rational regardless. So both parties, like it's hard to just like rationalize this complex set of stuff that's happening, especially very early on when you don't know how you'll feel and you don't know what you don't know in this, you know, navigating the the uncharted territory in your love and your life and your relationship. And so, you know, just adding to that, it's like, and it might, might change, probably will change what you need and, and what that shifts into. And then next thing you know, you might actually not want all those texts and you want to be left alone because you, Mm -hmm. you know, wind up really starting to appreciate that alone time and that disconnect time and are able to create some level of polarity with your partner, you know, completely disconnecting for some reason. I think that there's a, another layer in that as well is that that is the things that you say that you want or the things that you choose to do while maybe your partner is with someone else is that the things that you, you choose are not like an in spite of kind of Mm -hmm. energy, you know what I mean? Well, oh, well, they're there. So I'm going to go do this because, you know, like my encouragement, and I'm sure your encouragement to Morgan is like, do the things that really bring you pleasure. And in that form of distraction, it's like things that help you to feel more at home in yourself and at peace within yourself or excited for yourself and with yourself, you know, versus just doing things that it's like, well, you got to do this. So here I went to do this, you know, and that's not talking Mm -hmm. about like you do something with another person. It's just, you know, maybe you go see something or you watch the end of game of thrones without him while he's out, you know, or it's just like, oh, but you knew that I wanted that. Well, you went out with another person, you know, or it's like, don't do the thing that's sacred to the relationship. Like you, you get to collaborate and uh, be each other's cheerleaders and support systems. And, and, you know, there's the, the idea of, of compersion, right? So that's, well, I'll let you this is your area of expertise, Morgan. Can you describe compersion for everyone? Yeah, sure. Yeah, compersion is generally the experience of feeling excited for your partner that they are enjoying their time with other people. Yeah, so it can happen at the same time as you experience jealousy too. They're not mutually exclusive. I did want to mention, you know, about jealousy and how we handle it. I think it can be helpful to get a lot more specific with what jealousy is, right? So is it a fear that I'm not good enough? Is it a fear that I'll be abandoned? Is it an anger that I wasn't taken care of enough and now they're going to go do this thing? Is there, you know, an anxiety? Is it like a panic response? You know, there's a lot of different ways that we can use this broad term jealousy and it means different things. Sometimes grief 
gets called jealousy, right? Of just like, I'm grieving the relationship that I thought I was going to have. And now I'm having to do this work to go in a different direction. And like, that can happen at the same time as being interested and excited. Like we can hold multiple responses at the same time. And that, and that doesn't mean you're contradicting yourself. It means you're a person, a complex person. So when we get a bit more specific beyond the word jealousy is like what's underneath that, then we can get a bit more specific in what we do about it, how our partner reassures us, how we take care of ourselves. So, um, yeah, there's a fair amount of trial and error in that. I really love what you said about like, we don't want to be spiteful. Like let's check our motives. It's very easy to lash out at our partner. And now suddenly we're not on the same team anymore. Right. This is why like having a good foundation of communication up front is pretty paramount because if it's bad to begin with, it's going to get worse, you know, because when it's solid to begin with, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to test the strength of it. Um, We will have those impulses, selfish impulses, or, you know, lashing out impulses, especially if old trauma gets set off. Maybe we feel like a child again and we want to respond childishly. That's pretty common. Uh, What I have a common refrain with the people that I date is like whenever one or more of us is feeling like activated and elevated and like we're getting hot and we've got urgency, we take a breather and we say, same team, same team. Okay, let's come back to center, you know, because we are not us against each other. It's us together against the problem and to reroute it to something a bit more solution oriented. So that can be helpful as a reset when, not if, but when those impulses arise. Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. And thank you for distinguishing that jealousy might be some other emotions that are underneath there. And and jealousy might at large just feel like kind like challenging to navigate. Like, what is this beast of jealousy? Though this the fear of abandonment and all those things. It's like, oh well, I can take action on that. I don't can't really take action on avoiding jealousy, but I can take action on not wanting to feel like I can take action in a sense, like, okay, so my we know my history. I'll just use my story as an example. My biological father left when I was three. So I have the abandonment thing going in it's in my story. And so how I typically act on that is I didn't need you anyway. I've got, I can take care of myself versus the people that latch on and are codependent and are don't leave me. I'm like good fucking riddance. And so my, my initial reaction would be like the, well, we're done anyway, you know? And so if we know that that's, the thing that plays out for me, I know that this person that I'm opting to do this thing with is not my father, did not do those things. This person is my safe haven, is my partner, is my collaborator, is my teammate. And we both can remind me now, you know, how I'm reminded is also very important because there are the times where, you know, I am not your father. And I'm like, well, fuck you too. You know, like it really (laughs) just depends. Like we get to work together on like having the awareness around patterns and triggers and stuff that can come up and then how we react to those things. And then like, we get to, we get to make this what we want it to be, whatever it is, whether we're mostly monogamous, monogamish, or we're open to playing with others, or we're open to dating others. Like this, this dynamic's going to come up every reconfiguration we might trial out, you know, so that's incredible self-awareness, you know, and I think that's an individual's responsibility. You can't pass that responsibility over to the other person. Well, you should have known. Well, Mm. you know, like, 
they're busy processing their own stuff, especially if they're out maybe meeting someone new and then there's the fears and the insecurities and potential rejection and a whole slew of other things that's going on, you know, and everyone's experiences is valid, but how you navigate those things, you can absolutely put some, you know, like buffers in a sense, crash landing pads, maybe, you know, around them to support yourself. Like you were saying, treating yourself or maybe the day before having something special the day after or whatever, but there also could be a ton of other things that are going on. Like you, your person goes on a date and they come back and you're really ready to connect with them. And there's something that happened on that date that just really kind of messed with them in some way. And maybe they're feeling like, even though you're there and you love them and you want everything about them, maybe they got, you know, a comment made to them that has them feeling insecure and feeling maybe less than. And so they might be also processing that. And so it's like, well, but I love you. How is this not enough? Like there, I can just see, I'm just saying this possible thing that could happen as one of many colorful, flavorful things that can play out between people navigating in the space. Mm-hmm. It's only in romantic love that we have that messaging of you need to be somebody's everything, or mm-hmm. if you are not the only partner, therefore you're not enough. I like this equating of your personal value to your relationship status to a degree or the health of your relationship. And it's only in romance, right? Like I don't really question, oh, well, I like, you know, I have spent a lot of time with this friend, but I want to go rock climbing with that friend. Like now I need to choose or it's an insult to one if I do the other. It's like, you know, people will have multiple children and have capacity to love them deeply in different ways. And, you know, family members and like every other form of love, we already have experience of having very different, equally strong or differently, you know, strengths, um, connections with people. And that is very possible in a romantic and a sexual context as well. It is very scary and it is not something everyone desires, but if it's something you desire and it's scary, it is possible to, to achieve, you know, there's a, there's a fair amount of unlearning that goes on. And some of it is that messaging like that, those old tapes of I'm not enough. It's like, no, you're, you're different. You can't compare the incomparable. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we've talked about how it can be challenging. We've talked about, you know, that it is potentially more of a fit for, for people than maybe they've been exposed to. And, and we've talked about just like the realness, a portion of the realness. There's another portion that I want to highlight, which is the beauty, which Mm -hmm. is the, the, the over, let's say the overwhelming feelings of love and joy and that compersion and all those things. Let's, let's maybe like zoom in on Actually, I had this idea, uh, whether, you know, depending on if you feel comfortable either sharing your own story and what your relationships and things either look like now or what they've looked like maybe in the past or people that you've interacted with in your community or people just like very vaguely client interactions, things like that, where it's, you know, I would love to hear some examples of admirable kinds of dynamics that you've seen play out that choosing this way of living and being has brought so much more depth and joy and love and possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I started doing this work I do is like to give more examples. It's most of my work. So yeah, I think from my own experience, at least present day and in the last few years, relationships can fluctuate a lot. I've got a relationship that is currently nine years long. I have one that's five years long. I'm dating here and there. There's connection that some people call a comet, which is somebody you see like once a year or once every couple of months or something, you know, that I had a few um, comets back in the day. I like that term. Yeah. So, and we're always finding new fun terms to describe things, but so what I really love is 
the sense of safety and security that I don't feel threatened anymore. I would say that is a big, beautiful part of it. Like I don't really have a desire to do certain kinky things with the partner that I live with. Right. We both tend to be a bit more like submissive. And so it doesn't really, it's not as compatible. And so there was a lot of insecurity around that of like, you know, somebody else can provide you something that I can't, therefore they're better. That part is my insecurity talking, right? And so through working, like talking it out with friends and getting that constant validation of like, no, what we have is really special and incomparable. And my desire to do other things does not mean I also love this any less. Right. And so with the passage of time now, whenever he goes and spends time with people who want to like do different kinds of connections with him in that way, not just around kink, but like there's, we don't really compartmentalize relationships, right. There'll be like, he's going to Italy with one person. And um, that I get so excited because I feel secure, right? Like I'm so happy for him that he gets all of the things that he wants in his life including what I have no desire to do with him or no ability to do, right? And really takes the pressure off me. And then it really becomes not about me where I just see this person I love getting to do everything that they want to do. And I feel really excited. And so compersion winds up being a byproduct of feeling safe and it's nonlinear. It goes away again if I don't feel safe. And I can, I'm going on a date this Friday with somebody who's just in town for a week. And, you know, he was like helping my partner that I live with was helping me pick out an outfit. And there's just a lot of like wholesomeness and warmth and, you know, uh, a lot of enthusiasm and curiosity. Like, what will you discover about yourself that you never knew before? I'm so excited for you to find that. And yeah, usually I go on a date and I come back loving my other partners more because I'm in this capacity of like abundance. It's additive. It's not one instead of the other. It's like, I went and did this thing and now I get to come back to some of my best friends and tell them, and I'm so excited. And I love that our relationship lets me do this. And it's so full and glowing. And so I think that's also helpful to remember is that it can be uh, yeah, additive and abundant. It's not, there doesn't have to be scarcity and how we love people. Yes, that feels good. <laughs> feels good to hear. And the kind of back to the, you don't love one of your kids less. You might like one of them, maybe marginally a little bit more, depending on what they're up to, but <laughs> like the love overflow. Um, so I would love maybe a couple of examples of just various dynamics that maybe, maybe they're from your imagination or maybe you've experienced them that are other people that it's like this person and maybe it's this couple and then it trans transitioned to this way. And then they realized it worked this way better because my, my last question for you of our show, which I'm sad about, cause I really like is continuing to get in the in-betweens and like what's going on here. And, and it is the, how does someone best identify what their ideal relationship style is? And I believe that that's possibly a trial and error kind of thing, trying something and then figuring out all that. And I would love, you know, some examples. Sure. Well, what's cool is that it can be a negotiation depending on who's involved. So we can know for ourselves, like, I would like to live with a person or people. I would like to have kids. Like, these are experiences I would like to have. And I'm open to whoever I meet that feels like the move to do that, right? It doesn't wind up being this, you know, railroad of like, I meet this person, therefore they have to be the one I live with. And, you know, again, not being compulsory. It's really exciting when all those things do align. So yeah, I knew that I didn't want kids. 
I knew that I did want to cohabitate with part with partners or, you know, one or more. There's a fluidity. I currently only live with one, but if we meet more people, it's like, okay, cool. Let's talk about it. Um, and he does want kids. And so whenever he finds the person he wants to have kids with, maybe goes and lives with them, maybe splits time between the homes, maybe moves out and I'm cool with that. Maybe I like them and I come, right? Like there's a lot of variables depending on who it is. I currently am dating this woman that she's a mom with two kids. Like she's got a few other partners. So we only see each other once a month. And we talked about that. Like, hey, let's what what works what logistically works and what do we want to do like there's not this intensity there's not really an agenda we just like spending time together so let's do this once a month thing and see what we see you know and that really relaxed approach i have a partner that is long distance that we have a lot more planning around when they come i'm going to spend just a solid week with them you know 24/7 to compensate for like the asymmetry of like i never get to see them I have not personally been in a triad or a quad, but that it tends to be like, at least in the media, the most represented form of non-monogamy. And I find that to be one of the more complex forms of non-monogamy. You cannot force a triad into existence. I'd say a lot of couples open up looking for a third, thinking that's the logical next step. But to find somebody that feels equally attracted and in love with both of you, that's so rare. That's why they call them unicorns. <laughs> And so, but that can happen when people date separately and then the partner meets each other and, you know, sparks fly, like that can absolutely happen. But yeah, in general, we use the term polycule, sort of like molecule of our connections are linked in these extended ways and they can shift and change, um, but there's no shoulds, there's no musts. I might want to do something activity-based. I might want to have regularity. I might want to, you know, have, build a business with somebody. And that's what we do. It really depends on, you know, letting the relationship arise out of what the connection says it wants to do rather than what I think I should impose on it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I had an interesting, not so uh, kind of glamorous question that just came up sure. in hearing this is um, like the which I know there's a decent amount of this. I'm pretty sure in the ethical slot, it's been years since I've read that book, but it goes into like the legalities of like when children are involved in, and how open, how safe it is to be open about their fi family dynamics and, and that kind of thing. But then the question of, you know, in my mind, I was like, how do you get on each other's insurance plans? <laughs> you know, like, how does that look or work? Is it, you know, is it just like pretty much everybody is a solo registered single and they operate as their own island? When is it, you know, that you loop someone else in and you're partnered after so many years and you can be like on the same, like, I just get curious about the lifing part, you know, the mm -hmm. like humaning realities versus the like, I just want to do what I want to do, but the government is like, you need to have all these boxes and labels mm -hmm. and shit that you have to fill out and paperwork and stuff. And so I don't know if you have any answer to that, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Again, it can be negotiation. I got legally married to help with a visa so that a person wouldn't get deported. So we can also use these systems and these legal infrastructure to say like, who needs what? You know, if I'm dating someone who's chronically ill and I have health insurance and they don't, maybe I only know them six months or a year, but we feel in love and like we discuss, okay, maybe I'm going to do that with you despite these other relationships that are longer term. They don't want that and you would really benefit from it, you know? And so there can be some strategizing when it comes to that. 
of course, plenty of people want to, you know, get married or do these, you know, more traditional path things. And that's fine. You know, if that's something you want, not just something you strategically do, that's also fine. We just talk about it, you know, because it will give some advantages to some like legal advantages, tax breaks, you know, insurance, visiting people in the hospital, like all of these things will be very practical asymmetries of what people will have. And so we just level with everybody, you know, we're thinking of doing this. How does that affect you? Maybe a friends with benefits is like, that's chill. Like, I don't really care, you know, or maybe a long-term partner is like, I feel hurt by that, but I get it. Or, you know, so it, it's stuff that we, we navigate depending again on the people involved, but there's never one fixed answer. Uh, and just like, I mean, even in monogamous, you asked about kids, even in monogamous families or serial monogamous yeah. families. I mean, I grew up with four parents, you mm -hmm. know, two of them were step parents. Mm -hmm. right. Um, we're already doing this sort of blended family thing, um, yeah. often accidentally, you know, and so a lot of people build it intentionally. Oh, we're three people. We love each other. What this person would love to experience being pregnant. So they're going to be the one that carries a child. And we're deciding all three of us will raise this kid, you know? And so kids don't really have a reaction. They know if they feel safe. They know if they feel loved. They know if they see communication, right? They don't, they're not born with these norms of what's weird and what's not. And there are different like age appropriate ways to describe what you're doing, just like you would with monogamy, just like you would with sex, right? And so there's absolutely really beautiful families that I've seen thriving within non-monogamy. Just, yeah, depends on how your communication is and if everybody's needs are being met. Beautiful. Morgan, thank you so much. I loved how many, you know, various topics within the topic we were able to to cover in this in this kind of way. And I feel, well, the first thing that just came up whenever I started the I feel is like if I can, if I can have people start opening up to the the possibility of fulfilling a gangbang fantasy, then I can sure as shit bring somebody on to talk about polyamory and hopefully open them up to to being curious, you know? And so I'm just, I feel like we really did, you know, before I hit record and I was like, this is what I really want to have for them. I don't want to mm -hmm. scare anyone, but I would like to inspire people and especially leave them very curious. And I think that we achieved that today. I hope so. Yeah, thanks so I much for so. having me. Yeah, I hope so too. And so you listeners, now I'm talking directly to you. Big fan, big proponent of just, question your choices. Not that you have to like break it all down and then go, oh my gosh, I have to choose something different. But like, are you doing your life and your love in a way that feels really good in alignment for you? You know, just, you know, to me, it's like having this conversation and being excited to have this conversation doesn't mean I want to push open relating or consensual non-monogamy or polyamory onto any of you. But I'd like for you to ask yourself the question, the life that is around you, that is unfolding, is it intentional? Are you really choosing that because it's what's right and what's good and what feels the best for you? And so something that my husband and I say over and over and over again is the beauty is in the conversation. If we can get through a conversation and it be about a topic that we're nowhere near exploring that, but it's a topic that we can get through the conversation and on the other side, feel even more connected with each other. Like we see each other, feel each other, understand each other, are really collaborative and are on the same team, then it's worth it. And maybe the next conversation gets us a little bit closer to actualizing whatever that thing is, you know? 
know, I'm still thinking that one day, maybe possibly in the future, my fantasy of double penetration may or may not hopefully will happen. And if Jordan were on the, the, on the episode right now, he, you would hear him go, you know, but he jokes and he uses that, that fantasy and that dynamic as something that he was so challenged, like would sweat through just even saying it or hearing me say it. And that's just on a fantasy. That's not even like building a relationship. But now we've talked about it so much that I actually think he's registering as what would I need to do in order for this to be a possibility? And the way that that conversation has just developed over time, because it continuously happens from a place of love, I might, I may or may not get that fantasy, you know, realized in my life. And if I break that down or if I, if I shifted over it then into relationships, it's the same, you know, like trying these things out and having the conversation of what it could look like, what it might look like, what would need to shift in order for it to thrive or to be successful or what personal development work or inner work would you do in order to make that possibility? And maybe you do that inner work before you're even navigating or traversing that territory. I would encourage that for sure. So really all this to say that I want you to be curious and I want you to take steps in gaining information and learning more about who you truly are inside and then translating that out into your outer world and the life that you are living. So again, Morgan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom, your chillness, all your knowledge <laughs> and sharing your story with all of our listeners. I really appreciate you and your work. Thanks so much. Yeah, you can find me at Chill Polyamory on TikTok and Instagram. And I post longer form deep dive resources every week on patreon.com slash Chill Polyamory. Amazing. All those things will be linked in the show notes, y'all. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing what people have to say about the show. Again, thank you, Morgan. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.